Welcome to the Fintech One-on-One Podcast, formerly the Lend Academy Podcast, episode number 299. This is your host, Peter Renton, chairman and co-founder of Lend at Fintech. Today's episode is brought to you by Lendit Fintech, the world's largest digital media and events company dedicated to all things fintech. Lendit Fintech offers programs throughout the year to the fintech community, such as engaging webinars, white papers, a weekly news show, a daily newsletter, and our newest offering, Fintech Features, a program that helps fintech companies amplify their announcements. Find out more details on all these offerings at lendit.com. Today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome Catherine York Powers. She is a CEO and co-founder of Constant AI. Now, Constant AI are are focused on loan mitigation primarily right now. And we we talk about uh, what they're doing in in, in some depth there. I mean, they have an automated system, which really is quite sophisticated and something that that helps automate the manual processes that come with uh, that come with sort of a loan modification, but really help with uh, with it's a better experience for the borrower. So we talk about how they do that. We talk about their movement into loan servicing, why they decide. To, to do it, talk about the different lending verticals, obviously the impact of the pandemic where there has been huge numbers of requests for, for loan modifications and, and what that impacts had on not just Constance business, but on, on their clients' businesses as well. And we also touch on uh, what it's been like for Catherine as a, a black female entrepreneur in, in fintech and her experience there and what we can do as an industry to, to be more welcoming. It was a fascinating interview. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Catherine. Thank you for having me. Great to see you. Likewise. Okay, so you've got a pretty interesting background. I would say it's not a typical fintech uh, entrepreneur background, but why don't you give the listeners uh, some of the highlights of what you've done in your career to date? Yeah, sure. So in my earliest days, I was a political activist. Um, I worked for the Democratic National Committee, registering voters in black and brown neighborhoods. Uh, I later worked on legislation to create empowerment zones to promote economic development in distressed communities. And this four-year period at the beginning of my career really left an impression on me. Mm -hmm. But though I moved from politics into a career of running P&Ls in different companies and later in M&A, that work taught me that you can do well by doing good. And that's a major theme, not just throughout my career, but for us at Constant as well. Okay. So then what about, um, what was it that led you to decide to found Constant? Is there a, was there an aha moment or what was the, what was the trigger there? Actually, I was um, coming off an, an exit with Sun Edison. That was where I was running their M&A program in the solar energy space. And I knew I wanted to do something in energy efficiency in that space. And we had a background working, on the fi- uh, working in finance um, just as a, a part of financing solar installations and so forth. So I knew I wanted to do something there. But given my, my background that I just talked about, I wanted it to be in responsible lending, something mm-hmm. of that nature. And that's what we did. We set out to be responsible lenders in the 
home efficiency, home improvement space. Right. And to us, that meant um, extraordinary transparency for borrowers, self-imposed rate caps, no fee spikes when promos ended, that sort of thing. And but not long after we secured our loan purchase partner, we decided to build a self-service hardship relief platform because right. we knew that along the way, borrowers would struggle, whether it was related to, in this case, a pandemic, but related to a disaster or something else, or just something happening in, in their life. But we wanted them to have a similar experience that they had at origination, self-service, getting help within minutes, not having to wait on a phone channel to receive uh, an answer from their financial institution. Right, so, so it sounds like you, you pivoted away from lending per se and really became well, a software company, I guess. Um, was, like, was that... What, what was the reason behind that? Yeah, so we, um, we actually were, we built our origination platform. Of course, it was for ourselves. Um, right. But as we started building out the uh, loss mitigation platform and talking to um, our peers in the industry, we realized that this could be useful for other financial institutions. And that was the reason why we decided to um, focus all of our attention on that platform um, we always imagined that we would expand that into loan servicing. Loss mitigation really is um, in some ways, I guess, parent-child relationship. But we decided that we needed to um, use all of the resources in our company and focus on that one thing and, and do well at it, which is why we made that decision. And we made it before the pandemic. We had already built the platform for ourselves, but we knew that there was going to be a lot of work behind making sure that we had, for example, an, an admin panel where the application could be branded to that financial institution where they could set up their complicated credit policies and so forth. So we set about doing that uh, end of last year, or sorry, end of 2019, early 2020. And of course, COVID-19 hit in the first quarter and we were poised and ready to go with that platform. Right. We'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but I, I want to first get a sense of what the loss mitigation you know procedure looks like typically, what it has looked like, but at most lenders. Can you sort of describe describe what you see out there in the market? Yeah, sure. Um, it really is by loan type. So in uh, for a mortgage, it's pretty prescribed given that loan modifications in many ways were born out of the Great Recession. So. A mortgage loan modification is highly manual and touches multiple departments. There's typically an inbound request for help, which goes to the phone channel. Then a hardship application is pushed out to the borrower with a requirement to not just fill that out, write a hardship letter, provide financial documentation showing that there is a hardship. That gets sent back to um, processing, then goes to credit underwriting because they have to do the analysis to see what offer would be available to that borrower, if anything. An offer is created, sent to the customer, and then there's that back and forth of signing of documents. And traditionally, that process has been very, very manual. And even some folks uh, in the industry who are working to automate it, their focus has been on borrower input, you know, a screen where they can input information, but they're still taking that back, putting it into a fulfillment queue on the back end and having to do all the work that I just described uh, manually. 
Right. And so is it, I mean, obviously mortgage is, is somewhat complex. And as you say, it's uh, there's a lot of, a lot in there. What about for like an auto loan or a personal loan? Is it, is it different there? Yeah, it's interesting. And um, for auto and personal, you mostly have seen extensions and deferrals only. Um, there's a reason for that. It makes sense to invest in the cost of a mortgage loan modification because, well, you know, an average house is $250,000, $300,000 worth of an asset and you can afford to, for that investment in um, structuring a loan modification. With auto and personal loans being much smaller, it's harder to make the case to do that. So typically what you've seen are the use of extensions and deferrals where um, it's like a skip a pay, skip a pay for two, three, four months. In most cases, interest is still accruing. The payments get tacked onto the end. It's a real easy one size fits all structure. Um, but we also had auto lenders get very interested in loan modifications or more complex loan modifications because we made them affordable for uh, non-mortgage loans. All right. So let's so talk. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about the. You, you talk about automated loss mitigation, and you, you've mentioned how manual it is at, at mortgage in, in mortgage loans. Uh, how does your system work? How are you? How have you automated this process? Sure. So um, if a borrower is, uh, goes into their normal loan servicing platform, or they may be invited in through an email campaign or a link on their financial institution's website, they click through that and click on hardship relief. And, and it goes into a flow of questions that, are, that get to the specific nature of their issue. So you know, we for right now we're asking whether it's COVID related or non-COVID related. Frankly, there are a lot of non-COVID related hardships still happening, mm-hmm. and then we we get down into um, uh, questions that ask about the severity and duration of the hardship, which is really important information when you think of financial institutions trying to figure out what their loan reserves should be like, loan loss reserves should right. be like. Nobody had that information. They were guessing based on what was happening in the economy and with employment stats. So they go through that process. Um, We then pop up a video recorder so that they can record their hardship. We do a speech-to-text transcript of that, some keyword phrase extraction for collections later if that's necessary. Then then we go into the credit analysis where we ask them for their stated income, but we also ask them to connect to open banking, uh, either through direct ID or plaid. And we're able to grab all of that rich information about what's actually happening today, not Hmm. 30 days ago, which is what a FICO would show um, what's happening today. But we also layer that in with um, the credit pull and we, you know, crunch the numbers and we, we uh, come back with the offer that's available to them. It might be a a few months extension, it might be a full-on loan modification. It could be a step-up modification where you pay small amounts until you get up to your old payment. And what's happened in the background is the financial institution has input their entire credit policy, what offers are available, who their integrated partners would be. So we've done all of that work in the back so that the customer can actually get an offer within three to five minutes based on that borrower input and the use of um, the integrated partners. Interesting. And so are you able to automate the, the mortgage, the mortgage uh, modifications as well as the other verticals? Absolutely. Um, we're able to do it across all uh, loan debt types. So uh, personal secured, unsecured, 
auto loans, uh, mortgage, et cetera, which is really important because if we have a, a bank or credit union client and they have multiple loan types, they don't want to have a different solutions for different loan types. Right, right. It's really interesting. Like the, the, the video piece is, is interesting. You know, how, maybe talk a little bit about that. Why, why you decided to put that in and how, is that something that uh, is, is a friction point or how, how, does it, how has it been implementing that? It's actually, we, we actually give the, um, the client the ability to use it or not, um, okay. since it is definitely new, but most are using it. Customers seem totally fine with that versus having to write a handwritten letter. You know, something that we're looking at in the future is looking at sentiment analysis to, to help with that because we want to fully understand the hardship and make sure we're providing the right solution, helping our clients to inform them on what that output might look like. Um, but we've had... I think really good success with it. And so, what about integration with you know? How, how do you interface with with the the lenders' existing like loan servicing platform? Is this something that just sort of sits on top of that? How are you? I mean, is it does it is it inter, in, implemented on a case by case basis? How does it work? Yeah. So we we actually show up as a as an embedded deep link within the loan servicing platform. So. A borrowers would go in through their typical online banking platform, single sign-in, access their loan, and we would show up as an embedded link. They would, they would click through that link and they would come to us. So that's how we connect on our servicing side of the business. We are able to connect through uh, via API or in some cases, batch file processing. So, so let's talk about that, that, the servicing side of the business. Can you, can you say more about that? Yeah, it's um it's new-ish, I'll say. Our mission is to modernize loan servicing and loss mitigation. What we found when we were providing loss mitigation for clients is that their servicing platforms look like they were built in the 20th century. <laughs> right. Um, and some of them even had a more modern look, but frankly, they all did the same thing, which was to allow borrowers to make a payment or see their statements or some variation of that, which we thought was a real missed opportunity to connect with borrowers in a meaningful way and retain them, which of course is a huge issue right now is borrower retention, right. especially around mortgage where over 70% of folks are now with a different servicer than they were before the start of the pandemic. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. So um, just, let's talk about the pandemic for a little bit here. Maybe firstly, I'd love to get your sense from your from where you stand. I mean, how when you look across different lending verticals, what has seen sort of the most uptake, you know, in sort of in loan modifications? Yeah, um, not surprisingly, um, the loan modification tsunami that folks have been talking about hasn't actually happened yet. Right but many feel like it still will. Um, I think you're still seeing some financial institutions holding on to their loan loss reserves. Um, They're releasing some, in some cases, to balance their net income. But we have done a good job, I think, in this country, bridging folks through most of the pandemic with stimulus and payment accommodations and a variety of other things. But at some point, it, it will end. Um, right. You can't continue doing this. And there will be a need for, I think, mass numbers of loan modifications. So what we've been helping our clients with is the short-term forbearances, the short-term deferrals, um, which at the very beginning of the pandemic really 
you know, resulted in, uh, in thousands and thousands and thousands of calls to their phone channels. Um, and even for those who put an online form in that said, would you like an extension or a deferral? And they said, yes, it still was getting kicked to the back office for processing. Right. So, so I, I would say you know, it's really reflecting what you saw across the industry is mostly auto and mortgage you know, less on personal loans. I think folks were looking for accommodations on the credit card side, which we weren't supporting, but auto and mortgage were really, and some recreational vehicles and boats is really where you saw most of the traffic. Right, right. And so, I mean, it's interesting, you had, you've got, you had this platform all set up. I mean, it's all, you know, I presume you had a number of clients in place before 2020 hit. What is, what was that like in the early days? Because, you know, we did hear of, you know, people rushing to their mortgage service, they're rushing to, you know, their you know, for auto loans to try and to try and get this like, because we didn't know how long it was going to last. We thought, let's just, you know, if someone's just lost their job, let's try and skip a few payments. What was that like for your clients? Yeah, interesting. We we were able to, I think, reduce a lot of the phone channel and the scrambling around and frankly, the potential for non-compliance risk. Um, and you'll, we're probably going to see a lot more discussion around that over the next 12 months. Um, mm-hmm. Like the, the things that um, financial institutions did to scramble to get help out quickly. There were some misses along the way because they, you know, it was mostly manual. So we were able to take that manual process and, and automate it and help with some of that compliance risk, as well as get answers to customers fast. So that was a big deal. Um, you know, we were also trying to sell into the market and, and help other financial institutions. But frankly, early on, it was hard. Yeah, um, Everybody was trying to figure out how do you take your entire team and make them work from home or allow them to work from home? How do you leverage the opportunity around PPP and then PPP2? And then the idea that there were refis. And so while loan volume was down elsewhere, you had this real opportunity to to grab some income. So it was like income grabs and also trying to manage the chaos. And it really, you know, wasn't until um, summer, early fall that we started getting more traction. And frankly, folks believing that the pandemic wasn't going to be a V-shaped recovery, that this actually might go on for much longer and that there might be a need for investment in, uh, you know, a more automated solution. And by the way, I mean, we happened to really launch and expand during the pandemic, but hardships aren't cyclical. Right. <laughs> you always have a portion of your customers that, that will be dealing with hardships um, in addition to your typical, you know, every year disasters, weather events, those sorts of things that, that happen, which is also why we wanted to expand into um, servicing because we wanted to help with that case-shaped recovery, because there are plenty of, as we know, plenty of solvent customers, as well as those struggling borrowers. So on that bottom part of the K, we're still able to support them, uh, support those struggling. At the top part of the K, we're now able to um, uh, help deepen those relationships with customers and help retain them by helping borrowers self-serve more through more modernized uh, servicing, um, helping them manage their debt better, helping banks and credit unions expand their share of wallet, those sorts of things. Right. And so that, that, that brings me to my next question. What you talked about banks and credit unions, is that, you know, what, what's 
type of lender are you really focused on? I mean, like, is, is it the smaller end of the, of the spectrum here? Uh, you're talking about sort of mid-size banks and credit unions. Um, and what about the fintechs? What, what are the different, uh, you know, how are you sort of marketing your services right now? Yeah, our, our focus, um, especially with the servicing applications, has been with the um, mid-market banks and credit unions because we focus heavily on finding ways to personalize upsell activity to help them create or expand share of wallet. A lot of the fintechs, you know, the larger fintechs are, are supporting various types of debt and they are definitely targets for us. Um, but those that are just in um, single verticals, that aspect of the business may be less interesting to them. But we're on the loss mitigation side, we're definitely tar- targeting um, fintechs and also that, that mid-market bank and credit union. I mean, we've got, as you would expect, a number of conversations going with much larger financial institutions. But in terms of uh, our sales and marketing efforts, we're really focused on that middle market financial institution. Right, right. So, so tell us about this, the upsell opportunities and what, I mean, obviously, if you're just doing loss mitigation, I mean, I'd love to know what your perspective is. Is there, a, is there an upsell opportunity there? Or how are you, is it really on the loan servicing side, you're focusing on the upsell or what, uh, you know, how are you approaching that? Yeah, it's really on the loan servicing side. So on the uh, hardship relief slash loss mitigation side, we're, we're there to help those customers. But frankly, having that be a part of the servicing application is really beneficial for, for borrowers that are looking to get an answer fast, self-serve, um, maybe invo- avoid what may be a very embarrassing conversation about their financial situation. Right. Um, but we want to help banks recover, banks uh, and credit unions recover as well by looking at their solvent borrowers and finding ways to deepen that connection with them. So we have... Uh, three primary goals with our um, servicing application or digital servicing application, which is one to help borrowers better manage their debt and increase those self-service capabilities, help our clients increase their share of wallet through, as I said, smart personalized upsell activity and increase operational efficiency. And three, encourage financial literacy and transparency, which goes back to our origination days, tool tips and videos. And so On the cross-sell opportunity, upsell opportunity, we, within the servicing application, and by the way, we're not the core provider. We are connecting into a a core servicing platform. We are the digital front for that. But it's very easy to ask a question like, would you like to lower your payments? This is a non-hardship solvent borrower, um, which would lead to two things for us. One, grabbing a soft credit pull or maybe allowing them to connect through their uh, open banking if they prefer to do that. And we can help structure a lower payment through a a recast for a fee or a refinancing, which is more fee income to the financial institution. But what we're rolling out right now is, now that we've grabbed that uh, soft credit report, um, we can see the loans that they have with other financial institutions and make suggestions about them for them to move um, those loans over to help increase share of wallet for banks. That's one opportunity. One thing that we already have built and have deployed is allowing customers to, through our integration with Black Book, but allowing them to see what a trade-in value would be for their vehicle or if their boat recreational vehicle, if they wanted to refi and allowing them to go all the way through the pre-qual process while they're right there in the servicing app. So 
Our goal is to go, you know, way beyond payments, um, finding real ways to engage, but allowing these opportunities to create revenue for uh, banks and credit unions as well. Right, right. So I, I want to go back to the, the loss mitigation, the automated loss mitigation, because it, it strikes me as something that is, you know, it, it's a no-brainer. I, I would have thought for most lenders, you don't really want to have you know, the, the cost involved of having to go through this manual process. So what is, I'm just struggling to think about what is the argument against it? Is it just, I mean, is it just we don't, we don't want to change. I mean, when you go in there and you're and you're pitching your service, what is the resistance point? Well, during this pandemic, it has it's been resources. Sure. Um, we've got we got a lot of tech priorities right now, and we can't fit this in. All the while, hiring you know fifty to in some cases three hundred was one of the one of the potential clients. We actually ended up pulling in, hiring more people to answer calls and help process these um, hardship requests. So a lot of it's resources and a lot of it is just, this is what we've always done. So we, you know, most financial institutions know how to respond to a disaster for weather, government furloughs, et cetera. And that's always meant uh, hiring campaigns. And later, of course, you people have to get let go. So you've got this, you know, up and down of activity that is fully avoidable through automation, but you're also extending this, you know, amazing service to your clients that don't have to call and in the case of 2020, wait days and weeks for an answer when they really badly need help, which is also the case in a disaster or weather event. So I think it's mostly been just, this is what we've always done, or I don't have a tech resource that I can give to you to help with that, what is a fairly simple integration. Yeah, because it feels like, it just seems like a bit of a no-brainer to me. But anyway, I want to switch gears, if I may, and and talk about your experience in business. I mean, you've, there are not many black female entrepreneurs in, in fintech or in any kind of uh, technology vertical. And so how have you found sort of your, your journey here? I mean, how, like, obviously you've had to, you've had to break, break through some barriers. I mean, what, what's been your experience? Yeah, it's interesting. I, that usually isn't the first thing that occurs to me when I'm trying to, to do any, to do something new, in this case, starting a company um, in the fintech space. Um, I was actually surprised when uh, Goldman made the big investment in the or commitment to increase wealth for Black women to learn that less than 1% of all founders are Black women. That was actually surprising for me. I mean, sure, throughout my career, I have dealt with a whole range of microaggressions and other things, but i I have been fairly successful in management positions in the C-suite by, I think, just hardcore perseverance, working harder, staying up later. That's always worked for me. Um, In the fintech space, I actually haven't had any issues. Part of this is starting my own company. And, you know, I get to say, along with my board, who we're going to hire. And um, I'm able to implement all of the things that I want to around diversity and inclusion that are meaningful for me. I think the hardest part for women of color starting new businesses is access to capital. Um, I was able to overcome that because I spent a lot of time after my exit with Sun Edison, cultivating relationships in my community with angel investors investing alongside of them. So once I started my own business, I didn't have trouble with access to capital, 
But I, I realize and fully understand that that is the biggest barrier to most women of color, Black women starting their business is how do I go about doing this? And, and I really think that this starts with investors themselves, with venture capitalists, angel investors, um, making, making a commitment to uh, invest in this community and making it known um, similar to what Goldman is doing. They obviously have a much bigger voice <laughs> and pocketbooks to do this. I think there uh, needs to be a, a commitment in, with written goals where someone is accountable for diversity and inclusion. Those are all important things, I think, that will help promote or increase that diversity uh, in, in our business. Right, right. So, so are you optimistic then about, I mean, fintech has, you know, finance is, is, is a very white male-dominated field, technology even more so, and you might combine them and it's, it hasn't been a good concept. I mean, as, a, as someone who organizes a conference, it's not, it's not easy to have a, a really fully diverse, you know, speaker roster, for example, just because some of these, some people just it's, just, it's just a very white-dominated field. So I'm curious to think what 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 more can we do as an industry? Do you think to attract more, you know, more um, people of color and minorities into into it? Yeah, well, I think it's about pipeline. So when there was a, an announcement about the black female CEO of Walgreens, mm-hmm. um, lots of fanfare, but for me, I saw it as an anomaly, and it comes down to pipeline. Right. So if you're in sales, you have a big top of the funnel. And like, at, you know, if, if the goal is black female CEOs, well, at the bottom, you'll have more coming out. We are we as a, an industry, I think, are uh, not doing a good enough job making sure that that pipeline is full. So if we're talking about, you know, within financial institutions, making sure that we are promoting people into managers from managers into senior managers into the C-suite and, and on up. Many of those people leave their jobs and become fintech, fintech entrepreneurs. I mean, in my own career, I went through um, a number of corporate jobs before I decided to, to um, step out on my own. Right. Um, so I think that within those larger organizations, that commitment to fill the top of the funnel, because honestly, if you look at the stats today, the one that I mentioned to you, that there are less than 1% of Black female founders and and about the same for Black female CEOs. If that's the outcome, that just means that the pipeline is is woefully thin. Um, And that means you have to have uh, commitment from the top. So boards and CEOs, specific targets, uh, a commitment to them and making sure that there is adequate funding and someone accountable to make sure that actually happens. Right, makes sense. Okay, we're almost out of time, but I wanted to, a couple more things I want to get to. We haven't mentioned AI yet, and your, your your name is Constant AI, so I want to at least address that. What is the? How are you using AI in uh, in your business? Yeah, so our our primary focus. We talked a little bit about the hardship video. Um, our primary focus is on speech to text and key f- keyword phrase extraction um, for potential collections talk off. That's where we're focused now. Um, we originally set out to, to do a lot more in underwriting, credit underwriting. And it's interesting, uh, our president, uh, Carissa Robb, who's a former senior vice president of loan servicing for TD Bank. And we've, we've batted this around a lot. And we feel, we, I know that there's lots of really good work being done here, but we feel that there is still 
too much risk for bias and disparate treatment. Um, I think that's why you're seeing lots of discussion in Washington right now around that. We actually just recently met with the CFPB um, to show them our product. Lots of questions around the use of AI. We did the same thing with NCUA on the credit union side. So we're we're continuing to look for ways, um, especially on the loan servicing side. We're really excited about that to expand that. But we've we stopped short with the uh, credit underwriting for those reasons. So right now, we're it's mostly around. The, the borrower input and and how to how to take that information and better personalize the experience for the borrower. Right, right. Okay, then. So, so last question. I mean, as you look ahead to this year and beyond, I mean, what what are you working on that you're most excited about? Mm, great question. It's that cross sell and upsell opportunity that we talked about earlier. So. If you go into your bank account today, you're going in to check your balances and other things, but you may get, you know, add pop-ups for different things. And you don't know, uh, the bank doesn't usually know whether that's personalized, whether that's something you want or need. We actually spoke with a credit union. They sent out 50,000 cards promoting auto loans, even to people who had auto loans. And so our goal um, within that servicing experience, which with a, with a, borrower could be years and years, right? Origination is a point in time. You've got years with these guys is, is finding ways to better personalize the experience, better personalize the offers and increase share of wallet for our customers. While of course, making sure that the borrowers have an amazing self-service experience can self-serve whether they are really solvent and looking for new products or if they're experiencing a hardship. Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll have to leave it there, Catherine. It's uh, you've, you've got a you're building a really fascinating company, and I wish you all the best. Thank you. Thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate it. Okay, see you. You know, when I look at this objectively, I feel like you know having an automated system for for loss mitigation and for loan modifications feels like a, a no brainer to me because it's a better experience for the borrower. They get they get to avoid a somewhat embarrassing conversation, but they also get a, a quicker response. And that's probably the most important piece. They don't have to sit and wait for days or potentially even weeks on a decision. So I feel like that, that that's on the one hand. On the other hand, it saves money uh, for removing these manual processes uh, on the on the lender's side of things. So, I mean, to me, it just feels like a matter of time because this is the, this is the standard. Everyone is going to have some kind of automated loss mitigation system. And I think uh, Constant AI are in a good uh, a good position to deliver on that. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening and I'll catch you next time. Bye. Today's episode was brought to you by Lendit Fintech, the world's largest digital media and events company dedicated to all things fintech. Lendit Fintech offers programs throughout the year to the fintech community, such as engaging webinars, white papers, a weekly news show, a daily newsletter, and our newest offering, Fintech Features, a program that helps fintech companies amplify their announcements. Find out more details on all these offerings at lendit.com.